Chapter Ten of Rose Mather: A Tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ten, news of the battle at Rockland. Great battle at Manassas. Total rout of the Federal army. Three thousand killed and as many more taken prisoners. Fire zouaves all cut to pieces. Only three or four escape alive. New York Thirteenth completely riddled sherman's battery and hosts of guns in the hands of the rebels frightful panic at washington the capital in imminent danger general scott in convulsions the president crazy and seward threatened with softening of the brain women and children fleeing for their lives beauregard marching on with five hundred thousand men the baltimoreans in ecstasies and the philadelphians in despair such were some of the exaggerated reports which ran like lightning through the streets of rockland on the first arrival of the news throwing the people into a greater panic than was said to exist in washington hints of some terrible disaster the exact nature of which could not be known until the arrival of the evening papers had early in the afternoon found their way from the telegraphic station into the village creating the most intense excitement men left their places of business to talk the matter over while groups of women assembled at the street corners discussing the probabilities of the case and each hoping that her child her husband her brother had been spared prominent among these was widow sims holding fast to susan's hand and occasionally whispering a word of comfort to the poor child whose eyes were red with weeping over the possible fate of john rose mather's carriage drove up and down and from its window rose herself looked anxiously out her face indicative of the anxiety she felt to hear the worst if worst there were she knew her husband could not have been in battle for he was still in washington but she was conscious of a feeling as if some dire calamity were impending over her and among the crowd collected in the street there was none who waited more impatiently for the coming of the evening train than she she had taken annie graham to ride with her and the two presented a most striking contrast for where rose was nervous impatient and excited annie though feeling none the less concerned was quiet submissive and resigned exhibiting no outward emotion until the shrill whistle was heard across the plain when a crimson flush stole into her cheek deepening into a purple as the carriage drew up in front of the office where the throng was growing denser men pushing past each other and elbowing their way to a standpoint near the door where they could watch the first item of news and scatter it among the eager crowd the papers came at last and the damp sheets were almost torn asunder by the excited multitude me one me please and rose mather's hand was thrust from the window in time to catch a paper destined for some one farther in the rear but ere she had found the column sought she heard from those around her that the worst was realized there had been a battle our troops were utterly defeated and worse than all disgraced but the thirteenth annie whispered faintly does it speak of the thirteenth rose did not know her interest just then was centred in the massachusetts blank and in her eagerness to hear from tom she forgot for a moment that such a regiment as the new york thirteenth existed but there were others who did not forget and just as the question left annie's lips the answer came in a despairing cry which rent the air as some reckless person shouted aloud the thirteenth a total wreck not a man left of company r oh george poor annie cried and the next moment rose held the fainting form upon her lap drive home to mrs graham's i mean she said to jake who with some difficulty made his way through the crowd 
but not until the story so cruelly set afloat was contradicted by those who had more coolly read the sad intelligence the news was bad enough but the rockland company was not mentioned and its friends had no alternative but to wait until the telegraph wire should bring some tidings of the saved rose was the first to be remembered will did his duty faithfully a terrible battle his message ran soldiers are arriving every hour but tom has not come yet a telegram for the widow sims came next the mother's quick eye taking in at a glance that only eli's name and john's were appended to it isaac's was not there where was he then oh where she asked this question frantically refusing to read the note lest it should confirm her fears i'll read it mother let me see susan said resting the paper from her hands and reading with trembling tones eli and i are safe isaac was last seen leading lieutenant graham from the field oh what a piteous wail went up to heaven then for widow sims when she received the news was sitting in annie's door and annie was kneeling at her side george was wounded of course and if wounded dead else why had he not thought of her ere this locked in each other's arms the two stricken women wept bitterly the mother sobbing amid her tears my boy my boy while annie moaned sadly my george my husband well was it for both that ere that dark hour came they had learned to follow on even when their father's footsteps were in the sea knowing the hand which guided would never lead them wrong annie was the first to rally it might not after all be so bad she said george and isaac were prisoners perhaps but even that was preferable to death it would surely save them from danger in future battles the southerners would not maltreat helpless captives there were kind people south as well as north thus annie reasoned and the widow felt herself grow stronger as hope whispered of a brighter day to-morrow to annie it was brighter for it brought her news of george wounded in his right arm an inmate of the hospital and at present too weak to write this was all but it comforted the young wife he was not dead he might come home again and annie's heart overflowed with grateful thanksgiving that while so many were bereaved of their loved ones she had been mercifully spared the next mail brought her a second letter from mr mather more minute in its particulars than any which had preceded it he had obtained permission to stay with george had removed him to a private boarding-house far more comfortable than the crowded hospital and at his request he wrote to annie that her husband though badly wounded and suffering much from the terrible excitement of the battle was not thought dangerous and had strong hopes of ere long receiving his discharge and returning home where she could nurse him back to life this was annie's message read by her eagerly while the widow sims forgetting all formality in her anxiety to hear if there was aught concerning her boy looked over her shoulder her eye darting from line to line until she caught his name there was something of him and grasping annie's arm she whispered read what it says of isaac and annie read how brave tom carleton had generously given place to the poor wounded george and stayed behind him with isaac hoping to make his way to washington in safety they had not been heard from since and the widow's heart was sick as heart could be with the dread uncertainty anything was preferable to this suspense and in a state of mind bordering upon distraction she walked the floor now wringing her hands and again declaring her intention to start at once for somewhere she knew not whither or cared provided she found her child 
in the midst of her excitement the gate swung open and mrs baker rushed up the walk her sleeves above her elbows and her hair pushed back from her bonnetless head just as she had left her washing at a neighbour's when she received bill's letter which told of hal's sad fate and unravelled the mystery of tom carleton's silence he's took the rebels have got your ike she shrieked brandishing aloft the soiled missive and howling dismally then putting her hand into her bosom she drew forth the lock of hair and thrusting it almost into the widow's face cried out look tis harry's hair all there is left of harry that's what i get for having a boy two inches taller than ike who stood in front and would have been shot instead of harry only he was shorter read it miss graham and tossing the letter into annie's lap the wretched woman sank upon the doorstep and covering her face with her wet apron rocked back and forth while annie read aloud as follows dear mother we've met the rascals and been as genteelly licked as ever a pack of fools could ask to be how it happened nobody knows i was fightin like a tiger when all on a sudden i found us a-runnin like a flock of sheep and what is the queerest of all is that while we were taken to our heels one way the rebels were goin it t'other for what i know we should have been runnin from each other till now if they hadn't found out the game and so turned upon us but whilst of all is to come hal is dead shot right through the forehead and the ball that struck him down took off ike simpson's cap so if ike had been only a little taller hal would have lived to been hung most likely oh i wish he had i wish he had poor mrs baker moaned still waving back and forth and kissing the lock of hair while the widow involuntarily thanked her heavenly father that the two inches she once so earnestly coveted for her boy had wisely been withheld then followed bill's account of cutting away the hair he enclosed of his flight into the woods his sleep by the brook and his waking just in time to see captain carleton and isaac sims disappear beneath the trees in charge of rebel soldiers now that she knew the worst the widow sat like one stunned by a heavy blow uttering no sound as annie read bill's account of capturing his prisoner ere she reached this point however she had another auditor rose mather who had come with a second letter from her husband and who passing the weeping woman in the door came and stood by annie and listened with strange interest to the story of that captive parting so willingly with everything save the picture poor young man she sighed when annie finished reading i don't suppose it's right but i do feel sorry for him what if it had been jimmy perhaps he has a sister somewhere weeping for him just as i cried for tom dear tom will writes he is a prisoner with isaac sims i'm glad they are together tom will take care of isaac he had a quantity of gold tied around his waist and rose's soft hand smoothed caressingly the widow's thin light hair the widow had not wept before but at the touch of those little fingers the floodgates opened wide and her tears fell in torrents they were bound together now by a common bond of sympathy those four women each so unlike to the other and for a time they wept in silence one for her wounded husband one for her child deceased one for a captured brother the other for a son now as ever annie was the first to speak of hope and her words were fraught with comfort to all save harry's mother she could not comfort her for from reckless misguided harry's grave there came no ray of consolation but to the others she spoke of one who would not desert the weary captives neither bolt nor bar could shut him out god was in richmond as well as there at home and none could tell what good might spring from this seeming great evil 
for a long time they talked together and the afternoon was half spent when at last they separated rose going back to her luxurious home where she wrote to her mother the sad news concerning tom blurring with great tears the line in which she spoke of jimmy wondering what his fate had been slowly disconsolately poor mrs baker returned to her day's work so long neglected but the sud she left so hot two hours before had grown cold the fire burned out and with that weary discouraged feeling which poverty alone can prompt she was setting herself to the task of bringing matters up again when her employer touched with the sight of the white anguished face kindly bade her leave the work until another day and seek the quiet she so much needed poor old woman how desolate it was going back to the squalid house where everything even to the bootjack he had once hurled at her head reminded her of the harry who would come back no more she did not think of his unkindness now that was all forgotten and mother-like she remembered only the times when he was good and treated her like something half-way human he was her boy her first-born and as she lay with her tear-stained face buried in the scanty pillows of her humble bed she recalled to mind the time when first he lisped the sweet word mother and twined his baby arms about her neck he was a bright pretty child easily influenced for good or evil and the rude mother shuddered as she felt creeping over her the conviction that she had helped to make him what he grew to be and at times provoking him on purpose just to see him bump his little round hard head against the oaken floor then as he grew older it was fun to hear him imitate the oaths his father used and she had laughed at that until the habit became so firmly fixed that neither threats nor punishment could break it and when the sabbath bells were pealing forth their summons to the house of prayer she had suffered him to stay away offering but slight remonstrance when the robin's nest just without the door was pilfered of its unfledged occupants the mother-bird moaning over its murdered young just as she was moaning now over her ruined boy poor harry there was some excuse for him some apology found in the nature of his early training but for her who reared him none she might have taught him better she might have sent him to the sunday school across the way where sunday after sunday she had heard the hymns the children sang swelling on the sabbath air harry sometimes joining in as he sat at the cottage door adjusting the bait with which to tempt the unsuspecting fish playing in the brook near by a mother's fearful responsibility had been hers she had not fulfilled it and it rolled back on her now stinging as only remorse can sting and making her wish amid her pain that the boy once so earnestly desired had never been given her or else had died in its cradle-bed and so gone where she knew the hardened in sin never could find entrance so absorbed was she in her grief as not to hear the sound of wheels stopping near her gate nor the tripping footstep upon the floor rose mather restless at home and wishing for something to do had remembered the miserable woman and knowing how desolate her comfortless house must seem that summer night she had conquered her aversion to the place and come to speak if possible a word of cheer mrs baker's howls always had the effect of making her laugh they seemed so forced so unnatural but there was something so new so real in the stillness of that figure crouching upon the bed that rose for a moment was uncertain how to act it was no feigned sorrow of which she was a witness now and advancing at last towards the untidy bed she laid her hand upon the disordered uncombed hair and whispered soothingly i am so sorry for you mrs baker and i'll do all i can to help you i'll give you money to make your cottage pleasanter and by and by you won't feel so badly maybe this was rose's idea of comfort money in her estimation was to the poor a panacea for nearly every evil 
but all her wealth could not avail to quiet the feeling of remorse from which mrs baker was suffering with a sob she thanked the kind-hearted rose and then continued tain't the poverty so much nor the knowin that he's dead though that is bad enough it's the something that tells me i ought to have to brung him up better i never sent him to meet and never went myself never had him baptized though i did try once to learn him now i lay me but he that's my man laughed me out of it he said there wasn't any god that we all come by chance but i knew better i had a prayin mother and though i forgot what she learnt me it pears to come back to me now oh harry i wish i'd done different i do i do and the repentant woman buried her face again in the scanty pillows while rose looked pityingly on here was a case she could not reach money could not cure that aching heart or quiet that guilty conscience mrs graham would know exactly what to say rose thought wishing more and more that she too possessed the wisdom which would have told her what it was poor mrs baker needed sitting down beside her rose talked to her of bill who her husband said was highly complimented for having captured a rebel will had not seen the prisoner she said or heard his name he only knew the fact and that bill was greatly praised this was some consolation to mrs baker but it did not take the pain away and as she was not inclined to converse rose soon bade her good-bye and left her there alone in her deep sorrow the following sunday just as the notes of the organ were dying away in the opening service a bent shrinking figure stole noiselessly in at the open door and rose mather recognized beneath the thin black veil the haggard face of widow baker who except on funeral occasions had never before been seen within the walls of the church annie saw her too and while rose touched with the humble attempt she had made to put on something like mourning for her child thought how she would give her an entire new suit of black annie thought how she would daily pray that the blow which had fallen so crushingly might result in everlasting good to the now stricken mother scarcely less keen but of a far different nature was the grief of widow sims there was no black upon her leghorn bonnet she would not have worn it if isaac had been dead but every expression of her stern face told how constantly her heart was going out after her darling boy her captured isaac languishing in his sultry prison sick perhaps and pining for his mother how savage she felt toward beauregard and all his clan resolving at times to start herself for richmond and beard the lion in his den she'd tell them what was what she said she'd let them know what an injured mother could do she'd turn a second charlotte corduroy if necessary and free the land from such vile monsters and she actually sharpened up her shears as a weapon of offence in case the pilgrimage were made this was the widow sims excited but the widow sims when calm was a very different woman praying then for her boy and even asking forgiveness for the stirrers up of the rebellion at annie's request she had at last come to live altogether at the cottage in the hollow and it was well for both that they should be together for the widow's stronger will upheld the weaker annie who in her turn imparted much of her own trusting childish faith to the less trusting widow greatly annie mourned as the days went on because no line came to her from george himself nothing in his own handwriting when he knew how she desired it if it were but just his name what made him always deputize mr mather to write his letters for him annie put this question once to rose but the twilight was gathering over them and so she failed to see the heightened colour on rose's cheek and the moisture in her eye 
rose did not now as formerly bring her william's letters and read to her every word he said of george she only told her how cheerfully george bore his illness and how will read to him every day from annie's bible choosing always the passages she had marked but the rest was all withheld and annie never dreamed the reason or of the effort it cost the talkative little rose to keep back what william said she must until the worst were known thus the august days glided by one by one until the summer light faded from the rockland hills and september threw over them her rich autumnal bloom and then one day there came a note for annie written as of old by william mather but signed by george himself poor annie how she cried over and kissed that signature to which george had added god bless you darling annie every letter was unnaturally distorted and few could have deciphered the words but to the eye of love they were plain as noonday and annie's kisses dropped upon them until they were still more blurred than when they came to her it was very hard for rose to keep from telling the dreadful story of what had followed the penning of those brief words god bless you darling annie but will had said she must not so she made no sign only her arms clung closer around annie's neck and her lips lingered longer upon the snowy forehead as she said good-night and went away with the secret which annie must not know then End of chapter ten